0: Listening to the Miracle Word podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. This is gonna be a week, I believe, that's gonna really, really help people. We get so many questions. I get questions through DM, um, questions when I'm in places. So many people, hey, Joanne, so many people are asking, you know, I, I really feel like I got a book in me. I really feel like I'm supposed to be writing a book. I just don't know how to take the next steps to write it. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions we get on, well, how do you get started? What tools do you use? Um, you know, what do you have someone write it for you? Is your stuff transcribed from what you've preached? The answer to that, by the way, is no. I always feel like you you get the best outcome, um, especially for a minister, by by sitting down and writing it. It's not wrong to take stuff from things you've preached or taught. I've done that and taken notes of messages I've preached. But I like to sit. Maybe that's just me. I like to sit and actually be able to, um, you know, write out everything I'm going to say rather than transcribing it. But today, what I want to do is I'm going to give you a a way to create a very easy outline for your entire book that will actually allow you to write a great book that'll be interesting. And once again, if you missed yesterday, hey, Pam, um, if you missed yesterday, I took yesterday to encourage you as to why you should be writing a book. And I do believe you should. Let me just briefly say again, if God has anointed you to do anything whatsoever, it doesn't matter what it is, If you have a purpose on your life, if God's anointed you, gifted you, talented you to do something, then I believe it's worth sharing with your generation. And how God's using you, what he's using you to do, I believe it's worth sharing. I said yesterday that if something is worth teaching and preaching, then without question, it is definitely worth writing. If it's worth preaching and teaching, then it's definitely worth writing. And um, so I wanna encourage you that if you have not um, started or even got come up with a concept or an idea of something that you could release, this week will help you. But one of the things that I wanna to do today, and this is something I learned uh, from a great man of God who has written tons and tons of books, and um, I'll start by giving you this, and then we'll talk, we'll break it down a little bit. Hey, Mason. We'll break it down a little bit as to uh, the different parts of these and what they mean but it will definitely it helped me like immensely it helped me immensely when I got into to writing and um, I don't think I knew this right at the beginning when I wrote the first book um, but I learned it afterward and it made an, a, a huge huge difference A huge difference and this will help you by the way for anybody that's doing any kind of writing and I believe you should this will help you immensely Um, it's one thing to write it's another thing hey Letty, it's another thing to write things that people actually want to read and so I'm going to um, I'm gonna show you something that really really helped me uh, create things that people want to read or easily read you know I've actually had people say and I thought this was really cool uh, cause I never imagined it, it would happen, but I've had people say, uh, young people, especially when I do things for students or, you know, youth conferences, youth camps, I've had young people tell me that are like 13, 14 years old. Um, your book is like the first book that I ever sat down and completed all the way through. And, um, that's amazing to me, but I guess we're, I mean, we're obviously living in a generation where people are consuming far more video content, social media content. There's not as much uh, reading, sadly. That's why I'm encouraging you to get your kids reading. I talked about that yesterday. Get your kids reading. Um, I have no issue whatsoever bribing my kids to read, (laughs) like, whatsoever. Um, I I have a list of books that I want them to read um, and complete because, you know, the Bible says that uh, you're to train them up in the way that they should go. And so part of training, if you think about a trainer that's actually taking you through a program, they have things outlined that they want you to do. And that's my goal as well. You know, with my children, I want them to be, as we put it for uh, Miracle Word Kids, strong, smart, and set apart. And so there's, I have a goal for my children. I know what I want them to read. I know what I want to be in their spirit. And and I promise you, I've got no issue whatsoever uh, rewarding them for reading. Did you ever think about the fact that uh, God's system of how he works with his children is a rewards-based system? The Bible actually says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So God provides rewards for people that are dedicated to seek his face and to seek his presence. If you read Deuteronomy 28, God starts to list all of the rewards that will come upon you if you obey his commandments, his instructions, his word. And so God actually motivates by reward. And I want you to put that in the comments because it's very important. God motivates by reward. He motivates by reward. And so that's the way he wants you to move forward. Faith moves forward for a reward so important. Faith moves forward for a reward. We're actually running towards uh, our goal, pressing towards the mark, as Paul said, um, because there is a heavenly reward. God gives us rewards for obedience. And that's how we should reward our children as well, uh, taking the position that our heavenly father takes, which is a a rewards-based motivation. I have no issue with that. And uh, that's how God does it. That's how I want to do it as a father. And so I I want my children to understand that if you do the right things, then good things come from it. If you do the wrong things, there's always issues, but I'm pulling them in the direction I want them to go with a reward and you cannot uh, lose reading. You know, it's like I, I brought this out yesterday. Paul, the apostle, probably the most intelligent man in the New Testament was a man who constantly was reading, uh, always, you know, even when he was in prison, calling for his notes, calling for his parchments, calling for his books. The reason is because he understood his purpose. He had to have those things at his disposal. And so I, I totally believe in this and I, and I want you to, to see the value of it. I want my children to know, and, and it makes me proud because my kids, you know, they, they see that already. And I've got my, you know, my little daughters, even when they were younger, at night, you know, I bought them a little journal and they would, every night, instead of me reading them, think about this, this is a pretty cool idea. Instead of me reading them like bedtime stories, we would make bedtime stories. So uh, we would tell a story and we'd write it, like we were writing our own story. And then my daughter, especially when they were really young, would take crayons and on the opposite page that we wrote the story, they would illustrate the story you know whatever whatever adventure we were having that night in the story so uh just getting their imaginations working working with their mind uh and it's very important you know and and it's the same for us that we have to be um readers i will say this and if you're if you're taking notes please write this down great writers are great readers no question about it you can't be a great writer and not read anything i mean great writers are great readers you can't get around it If you want the things that you write to be great, you've got to read great writing. And I've heard a lot of authors that are killer authors say, you know, read everything that you can get your hands on. I know people have time restraints, but it's so important that you're currently uh, reading something. That's why one of the things that we like to do each month is we send you a gift for those of you that sew, but what do we do? We normally are sending you a book to read because I, I so believe in it. And uh, great writers are great readers without question. And so um, I want to I show you this today. I want to start by uh, this kind of this pro tip secret that I learned by somebody who's, re- you know, written hundreds of books. And uh, I thought, man, because when you, this is the biggest thing I get, to be honest with you. People will say, well, you know, I feel like I've got something to write. I feel like I've got something to say. I just don't know how to get started in uh, in writing it I don't know where to start I don't know what to do you know I I don't I don't quite understand how the process works and uh, sometimes some people sit down at a desk and uh, they'll maybe in front of a blank sheet of paper or a computer screen with a word processor open and they're like they just don't you know they don't know what to write or how to start a book and uh, it's it's like a roadblock so I want to show you uh, today in this broadcast especially at the outset this, this pro tip, and then we'll break it down and talk about what it is that you can do to get started and make actually create something that people would want to read, actually want to read. So, um, this, this is what I learned, and I want you to, to make notes of this. The first thing, if you were to take out a sheet of paper, and you can even do it now if you want to, but ta- if you took out a sheet of paper, sit for a minute and think to yourself, what What is the top thing, the number one thing that's burning in my spirit right now? What is the number one thing that's like burning in my heart that I feel like I've got to share with other people? The number one thing that I've got to share with other people, what is it? And then once you figure out what that is, put that, write it down as accurately and as uh, fleshed out as possible on the top of that a piece of paper. So I'll take, for example, um, uh, my very first book that I ever did, Praise, Laugh, Repeat. Uh, If I was doing that with that book, I might write at the top of the page, um, God has a plan to deliver his children from depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts. That may be uh, the number one thing that was burning in my spirit, and it was, by far, by far. And that's why I spend all the time in prayer and fasting. So I may write at the very top of the page: God has a plan to deliver his children from depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. That right there is going to govern everything. It's in my spirit. It's the number one thing in my spirit. It's burning up. Every time I preach, it comes out. Every time I pray, it comes out. When I'm studying the word, I'm looking for it in the scriptures that I'm reading. Then I'll put that as like my thesis kind of at the top of the page, whatever it is. Let me encourage you why this is so important. We'll go through all these in a minute. But this is so important because as I said yesterday, if you start writing about something that you have no passion about, you are digging yourself into a serious pit. And when that honeymoon stage of quote unquote writing a book is done and you're left with some subject or topic that you've got no passion for you're in big trouble because when writing becomes work and you're now having to write about something that you don't even care about big big mistake that's why at any given moment what is the thing that's burning up in your spirit that you're you're talking to every any to anybody you get into conversation with you're talking to them about it it's something you're studying on the internet, something you're studying in the Word, something that you're just trying to find answers about. That is the thing that you should write. That is the thing that you should write about. Um, you know, Even novelists will say, write what you know, um, because what ends up happening is it gives you source material because you're, you're already covering something you have a lot of knowledge about. But on the other side of that, if it's something that you're very, very passionate about or it's burning in your spirit most likely you've already taken steps to get more knowledge about it. You know, if it's something that you're always talking about, I'm sure you've done 20, 30 Google searches on different aspects of that topic. I'm sure you've talked to other people who have told you things. Uh, And so let me encourage you, put that thing at the very top of the page. This is what you need to be writing about. Number two, the second thing, that this man of God told me, he said, after you've determined that topic that's burning up in your spirit, he said, the next thing you want to do is if you had to sit and think, if I was going to give a presentation on this, what are the eight to 10 most important things that I would tell somebody about this subject? If I was limited, and then we just for a good round number, we'll say 10. What are the 10 most important things that I need to tell somebody about this subject. You know, if I'm sitting at a round table, if I was asked to give a talk, whatever it might be, what am I going to say about it? Because I know it's an important subject. It continually burns in my spirit. It's, it's, It's literally something I'm searching, praying about, reading about, talking to others about. So when you talk to other people, what are the 10 things that you feel like you bring up about that? You know, whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, talk about that. For me, when I was looking at that subject, I understood that uh, not only did God have a plan to deliver people from depression, anxiety, panic attacks, but there were things that I had been studying and praying about and reading and talking to others and uh, and, and figuring out, I determined that God had a way of doing what he wanted to do. And as I was discovering those things, I was writing those out, writing them down. What were the avenues out of depression, out of anxiety, out of suicidal thoughts? What were the pathways out of the problem that the enemy had been using to attack God's children? So whatever you're writing about, whatever that thing is you're extremely passionate about, ask yourself the question, what 10 things do I feel like are the most important to tell people about this subject? What is it that I'm trying to get across? If I feel it's so very important, how am I getting this point across to people? And um, you don't have to do this. Sometimes it, 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 uh, it does you well to think of it in uh, terms of debate. Because obviously there may be people that would debate your thought process on what you're writing about. I did that myself. You know, one of the, if you can believe it, one of the issues that I faced in writing that book and preaching those messages for Praise, Laugh, Repeat was that there were all kinds of Christians that really, and this blew my mind, I didn't expect it, that pushed back against me because of the fact that they did not view depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts as a spiritual issue. And so I I obviously didn't see that coming all the way back then, uh, especially I was younger, um, you know, almost what now, coming up on 10 years younger when I was preaching it. And so I, I wasn't necessarily looking at that, but that one of the first things that happened, people started coming out to speak to me and uh, many of them were, you know, scolding me, if you will, for, for preaching what I was preaching. They did not see depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts as spiritual issues. They saw them as psychological issues, um, problems of the mind, maybe a chemical imbalance. Well, now that gave me a whole other area to cover in writing the book. I'll tell you a story. One time I was uh, preaching and uh, it was at a youth event. And one night we had a powerful service where the joy of the Lord was, was hitting. I was praying for people to be delivered from depression and anxiety and, and panic attacks. And one of the things that I said during the, um, the camp is I said, um, uh, speaking about the power of God, I said that, you know, God, if you think that God needs a man-made substance to supplement his supernatural power, you don't know the God that I serve. And that's a very simple statement. If you think that God needs a man-made substance, I was speaking about medication, to supplement his supernatural power, then you don't know the God that I serve. What I was preaching and teaching in context was that who the sun sets free is free indeed, that you can be healed and delivered to the place where you don't need antidepressants or any of those types of medications anymore. You can be set free completely and you won't need a man-made substance to supplement what God's done by his supernatural power. Well, when I preached that and said that, one of the nurses of the camp got ticked off. I mean, very, very angry. Uh, She was there to serve for the whole week. Well, after that service was over, she stormed back to the front office, took off her lanyard and and gave it back, turned it in and got packed her bags and left. And she was mad that I preached that, that I said that. And even further than that, when she got back to her house, then she (laughs) went and got on her computer. And wrote me a long Facebook message. Basically, this is what she said, and it was long. It was probably like eight or nine paragraphs of writing about uh, about my stance. And this, by the way, was a Pentecostal camp. With uh, and I'm assuming this woman attended a Pentecostal church, um, and she she wrote me a big long eight nine paragraph rebuke on Facebook. Basically, this was the gist of what she said. She said yes prayer is good. Yes, faith is good, but these kids need their medication. Like she, she began to rip me up that obviously she didn't believe that those things had a supernatural root or that they were supernaturally, uh, they could, they could be supernaturally helped. She believed, you know, prayer's fine. Faith's fine. But really what this generation needs is medication. So because I didn't see that, uh, and actually it was actually a good thing that it took place because it opened my eyes to a whole different aspect of what I was writing about. And so um, it, it took it, I took that into account, obviously, when I began to write the book. And I showed from the scripture, see this this will help you, because one of the things that I was looking at as I was writing, was, okay, there are many people who don't believe like I believe in regards to depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. So what it made me do in a debate style uh, thought process was to go in the word of God. Now now the question is this, okay, are these things truly spiritual or am I wrong? Are they uh, psychological issues only? Are they, things that people just battle in their mind that really have nothing to do with the spirit. So now my goal in writing those 10 things, one of the things may be that this is a supernatural problem that needs a supernatural solution. See, because you can't solve a supernatural problem with a natural solution. So as I'm writing my 10 things on the paper, one of the things I'm gonna do is I'm gonna think to myself, okay, On the other side of what I'm writing about, what would people say to argue with or debate with my thought process from the Word of God on this subject? And I'll be honest with you, I'm thinking that a lot. I'm thinking about that all the time. Because I feel like one of the biggest mistakes people can make is they can get so set in their thought process, so set in their way of thinking that They completely ignore what anybody that has a different viewpoint may say about that subject. The problem with that is that if you're ever um, challenged on what you believe, not only do you not have an answer, you've not even thought about it in a way to have an intelligent response to what you're talking about. And to be honest with you, A lot of things that I do or time that I take, even in study, for myself personally, I'm actually looking at um, what would people say, like, I'll give you a perfect example. Right now, uh, we're getting ready to release a book coming up this year that will start a series of books that I'm gonna be doing called The Spirit-Filled Believers' Guides. And The Spirit-Filled Believers' Guides will be topical, and each book will cover a topic of something that we believe as spirit-filled Christians. So the very first one uh, is going to be on speaking in tongues. And so it'll be the Spirit-Filled Believer's Guide to Speaking in Tongues. So in that book, obviously, one of the first things I'm going to do, and I did it in the introduction, I said, okay, what are things that people believe and say about modern-day speaking in tongues? You know, what do the naysayers have to say about it? You know, when they try to debunk people being filled with the Spirit and say that's not real and speaking in tongues is fake, it's made up, it's something that people do thinking that it's God and it's really just them babbling on. And so uh, one of the things that I did in the introduction is listed all of the arguments of the, that people have in this generation against speaking in tongues and then ask questions, what is it truly? And so what what happens is when you're able to look at what you're writing about from all different sides of that same topic, it gives you a well-rounded approach and view to the thing that you're talking about, to the thing that you're writing about, and gives you a far greater command of the subject, gives you a far greater command of the subject. And you need that. You absolutely need that. You need to know exactly what people would say to disagree with what you wrote. <clears throat> so you're almost thinking like an attorney. You know, okay, I'm gonna present this as evidence. What are they gonna pre- present as the counter uh, viewpoint of what I'm presenting here? They say, yeah, that's true, but he- but you never, you didn't think of this. It's important to think those thoughts because I've read a lot of Christian books where people didn't even think out the the doctrinal stance that they had. And it literally by one or two sentences, the entire book could be overturned. Like I'm being honest with you. Like you don't want to spend hours and hours, weeks, weeks, months, months, putting together something that was not well thought out. And then at the end of it, you're like, somebody comes up to you and say, yeah, but did you ever think of this? And like the one or two things they said to you completely turns your whole thesis on its ear. You don't want that to happen. And so it's important that you think about uh, the counterpoint to what you're writing. I thought about that a lot, honestly, uh, with this last book, Further Faster. And the reason I did is because There's a lot of people in the body of Christ now, Pentecostals included, that don't even believe that impartation exists at all. They don't believe it at all. And so if we've got Pentecostals thinking like this, in fact, I, I cited in the book a position paper from a Pentecostal denomination where their scholars basically said in the position paper, it doesn't exist in the modern day church. <clears throat> the impartation of spiritual gifts from person to person doesn't exist in the modern day church. So there was something I had to deal with because the, the, these were their top of the top guys in their denomination. You know the PhDs, the MDivs, writing these papers, um, and so the the, the doctor of divinity, all those guys. And so you have to ask yourself. Okay, well, if you've got people that are considered to be the most intelligent in a Pentecostal denomination that uh, disagree with the thought process that you have, what do you do? Well, the only thing you can do is go back to the Word of God, which is unchanging, especially the New Testament, which is unchanging. And so you have to look into the New Testament and see, is this a principle that still applies today? But what it does for you is it causes you to think through this subject that you're writing about and it, it it causes you to have to acknowledge there are a group of, you know, there is a group of people out there that completely disagree with what I'm getting ready to write. Don't let that discourage you. That should encourage you to write because if you believe that what you're saying is the proper thought process, is what needs to be said. It's the thing that Christians need to hear in this generation, which is what I believed and still believe about further faster. I believe Christians need to understand the power of impartation, how it works, what it's for, that it's God's system of promotion in the kingdom, And because I believe in it, because I know that it's scripturally based, God doesn't change, his system does not change, then I believe Christians need to hear about it, especially if it's God's system of promotion in the earth. Christians need to hear. So do I let people who disagree with the thought of impartation uh, dissuade me from writing this book? No, it actually sets me on fire to to prove what is right by the word of God. So don't get to the place where you hear people that may disagree with your thesis and say, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't write the book. No, write the book. Write the book. Educate yourself. Look at it from both sides and write the book. It's going to bless your generation. It's going to help people that read it. Don't let that discourage you. Let it encourage you. Let it set you on fire even greater fire to do what you were called to do. And uh, as you're writing those 10 things down the sheet of paper, you know, you've got your thesis at the top, what it is that you feel passionate about to write about in your spirit. Then the top 10 things that you feel people need to know. Now that number is not a hard and fast rule. Might be eight things, might be 15 things. If you feel they're important, include them. If you feel they're important, include them. You might have eight, might have 15, might have 20, but whatever you feel and write everything out, don't get to 10 and say, well, I had others, but I've got 10 now. No, write everything out, write everything out that you've got on the paper. This is the time to get all the information. And so as you're writing it, what you're going to realize is each one of these things that you're writing down is a chapter in your book every single one of those things that you're writing down is a chapter in your book. So if you write 10 things down, that's easily 10 chapters that you have for a book. If you've got 15 things, you've got 20 things, that's 15, 20 chapters that you have in your book. So now you have, number one, the thing that's burning up in your spirit, the thing you're passionate about, and then on top of that, you have the 10 things, the 12 things, the 15 things, that you feel are burning up in your spirit and then what people need to hear about this topic and then you've got those, those become your chapters. Um, I've spoken to two different people, <clears throat> Dr. Mike Murdoch, who's written hundreds of books, Dr. John Avenzini, who's written a ton of books. They both basically told me the same thing when it came down to this principle. I think I saw my friend Dr. Jeff on here, love you buddy, um, when I when I saw this, it blew my mind because you you look at these things like, man, it's it's hard to write a book, but when you understand how to properly outline, it's not hard. Because as Dr. John Evansini told me, it becomes a fill-in the blanks, which is an excellent way of thinking about it. Um, I want you to put it in the comments. If I outline, I can fill in the blanks. Put put that in the comments because this changed my whole writing experience. If I outline, it becomes fill in the blanks. Pop that in the comments. Changed everything for me. Changed everything. And Dr. John told me this. He said, listen, if you if you will create a great outline of what God's given you, he said the rest is, is literally fill in the blanks. It, it's a skeleton that you then fully form muscles, you know, joints, fat, then you wrap a skin around it and that thing is completed. And so if you properly outline, so I'm showing you how to do that. You, you start with the thing that's burning in your spirit. You then move on. What are the top things? What are the top things that I can uh, tell somebody about this? I've got to get it out. This is what they need to know about this. They must know about it. Those become your chapters. Leave yourself some space. What I do, I'm gonna give you a pro tip here because um, this, I will say, and I've taught about this in the Bible study course that we did on Facebook and, and everything, but when I, when I found this, I was kind of a disorganized person as some creatives can be. Uh, not giving myself an excuse, but I was disorganized. When I discovered the Microsoft OneNote app I cannot uh, say enough. I can't, oh, there's no way I can overestimate how much this one application changed my whole life and ministry. Because, and at the time when I was choosing, it was between Evernote and Microsoft OneNote. The reason I went with Microsoft OneNote at the time, Evernote may have changed by now. But Microsoft OneNote offers you a hierarchical system to to log your notes and thoughts, um, and so it, it basically it's here's the here's the hierarchy hierarchy. It's notebooks, and then every notebook has pay um, has um, tabs, and then every tab has pages. That's the name of the app. It's just it's a note taking app, but it allows you to log videos. It allows you to log audio. It allows you to log pictures. It allows you to log uh, typed out. You know. notes in a word document, uh, you, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing application and it's free. But the thing I like about it is that it, it backs all these things up between your computer, your tablet, your phone, whatever else. And you can access it via any computer that has an internet connection by logging into your account. Uh, so I keep even my messages that I preach, inside this app so that even if I were to leave my iPad at home accidentally with all my notes uh, that I may have, it's all on my phone. You know, I could even log into any computer at any church and get notes from it. So it's, it's phenomenal. And so um, very important, um, very important thing here, because when you look at this, you may have, here's where I was irresponsible. If and I'm, I've gotten big on this and I would, I would ask you to please write this in the comments. Please write this down. Um, be faithful to log the thoughts of God. Be faithful to record the thoughts of God. This is one of the biggest changes I made in my life. I promise you when I tell you this, biggest changes. Be faithful to record the thoughts of God. You know as well as I do, there may be times where the Lord is speaking to us, and maybe we're on a walk, maybe we're at the store, maybe we're doing something else, and we think, yeah, that's man, that's really good. When I get home, I'm gonna write that down and remember that. Problem is, the longer you wait, the more you forget about what was said. So think about this. Um, have you ever had a dream that was very vivid, and when you woke up out of sleep, you could recount that dream to somebody? You're like, man, I was crazy. I was in a cave and I saw these yellow bats and whatever it might be. But then as you went throughout the day, it's almost like the whole thing faded on you. Have you ever had that happen? It's like you had this vivid dream and then by the evening, you can't even hardly remember anything about it. I liken it to that, that when the Lord speaks to you, remember this, God wants us to be good stewards of everything we have in our lives, not just our finances, not just our relationships. He wants us to be good stewards of everything that we have in our lives, especially the thoughts that he gives us, the inspirations that he gives us, the revelation. And so think about it. If, 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 if you gave someone a gift and they acted like they didn't even care about it, if they threw it to the side, if they didn't even open it, would you feel like giving them another gift? No, no, because you could tell they didn't care. And one of the things that happens is that God gives seed to the sower. So he's what he's really looking for is faithful people that will use what he's given them. Maybe a better uh, passage of scripture to use in this context would be the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. The master expects us to do something with what he's given us. You can write that down. The master expects me to do something with what he's given me. That is huge. That will change your life. I don't look at the things God gives me uh, as though they're not important. or they're No, they're valuable thoughts. They are valuable thoughts. The power of of Microsoft OneNote is that at any given moment, if I'm on a walk, trust me when I tell you this, I'll do like a four-mile walk every day, whatever, two-mile walk. If I'm on a walk praying in the Holy Ghost or just walking, listening to the Word or whatever I'm doing, if God drops something in my spirit, there is no physical exercise, no heart rate that needs to stay up that is more important than what God just dropped in my spirit. I will stop walking if I have to. But I pull that phone out, I flip it open, and I um I open one note and I have a section just for these thoughts. And the the the, the page is actually just called to study. <clears throat> and I'll start writing down specifically everything the Lord just said. Every scripture that he brought Brought to my remembrance everything the way I heard it, how I heard it. This happens also. Let me give you a huge tip here. This happens also with ideas for books that the Lord wants me to write. I probably have 15 books right now in the queue ready to write. And when He gives them to me, think about this. I was sitting in a service one time, and you can't control where the Lord speaks to you. I was sitting in a service. And God literally, I promise you, I've never had it happen this quickly before. I'm sitting there, and the Lord starts just dumping all of this stuff into my spirit for a book. Well, I mean, I'm like, I'm quickly, frantically opening my OneNote. I sat there, and I mean, the Lord delivered to me the entire book with all the content, all the sections all the scriptures in a matter of 45 minutes. And I'm sitting there. Now, I'm not anywhere close to writing that book yet because I have things that that have to come before it. But let me tell you, it's all already in OneNote, ready to go. You know, it might be you know, two years before I'm actually able to get to getting that out and publishing it. But when I get to the place where it's time to start brainstorming and writing, I don't have to go back and say, now what was that the Lord said to me Well, what did he, Lord, can you remind me of that? What was the thing you, no, I've got it logged already. It is in my phone, tablet, laptop. It's everywhere. It's ready to go because I have to be faithful to log and record the thoughts of God. It's got to be there for me when I'm ready to go and see the things God's showing you are important. The things he's showing you are vitally important and so here's what I want to encourage you is uh, I would say, get it. It's free. And that you can get it on Android. You can get it on Apple, get it everywhere and use it. Even if you're just using it to record the thoughts of God and, and put those things down, a story may come to you, or you know what? You might be talking to somebody and they tell you a story and you say, you know what? That would, that would be a great illustration for a book I'm going to write. Immediately sit down and log that story into the OneNote folder, you know, whatever it is. Um, be a catch all of information. If you're scrolling, here's another function that I really love. If you're studying things online on, on your web browser, on your phone, and just reading articles, reading reports, statistics, whatever, anytime you come across something that you could use in your book, it's a one click press away from sending that whole article into OneNote. It does it for you it clips the article and places it in, into a page in your OneNote account. It's excellent for research. So as you're doing these things, you're writing the 10, what are those? They're your chapters, they're your chapters. But I, I'm encouraging you to do all this in OneNote. The thing at the top that you feel is, is that you're most passionate about, then the things underneath, but leave yourself some room. And then here's what happens. Once you come up with the 10 things, the 15 things, the 20 things that you feel people must know about this subject you're talking about. Here's where you start filling in some blanks. Um, The next thing you wanna do is for each of those thoughts, I want you to find three to five verses of scripture that back up the thing you want to say about that subject. Find three to five verses of scripture. Of course, everything we do needs to be based on the word of God. So if I'm giving advice to someone that's a Christian, it's got to come from God's word in context. And so what I want to do is I want to open that up. Uh, Under each one of those things, I put three to five verses of scripture that uh, back up that point or what I'm saying. Log that in there. Look at those verses in every different translation. Make sure you're looking at it in the King James, the New American Standard, the ESV, NLT, NIV, whatever you've got amplified. Use a website like biblegateway.com. Look at them, study them through. Read the verses before them, read the verses after them. You don't want <laughs> you don't want to accidentally quote a verse out of context and use it out of context because you didn't properly uh Understand what came before what came after it, and you didn't understand what the verse was about. I saw a funny t-shirt on Instagram (laughs) that I may actually buy. It said, I can do all things through a verse quoted out of context. (laughs) Which is I completely understand. I'll give you a funny story about that being completely transparent. I was preaching one time, and my father and mother were in the crowd, and I turned to that passage in the book of Genesis, where Abraham is in his camp and three figures come to him. He tells them, please stop, come into my camp. Uh, let me fix you something to eat, if you've ever read that passage in the book of Genesis. And uh, I preached a message, and I i don't know that I preached the whole message on this, but I talked about it. I mentioned it. I said, now here's what many people don't understand. I was, pre- I was preaching about it. I said, now look at this. Three supernatural beings came into Abraham's camp. I said, what you need to realize about this passage is that that was the Trinity showing up to meet with Abraham in the, uh, in the, in the old covenant. It was the father. It was the pre-incarnate son. And it was the Holy Ghost. You know, I, I, was, I, was, I was going off on how the Trinity uh, appeared to Abraham. And um, I I quit there and moved on to another thing. After the service, we were kinda, I think we were going to eat or something. And my mom and dad were walking with me. And my mom says, she says, Ted, wasn't wasn't that powerful what Teddy brought out in that message today, that that was the Trinity that met with Abraham? And my dad said, not really. (laughs) He said, not really. She said, wasn't that powerful? <laughs> wasn't that powerful what he brought out about the tree? Not really. And uh, I, kinda, I was like, what? And the, you know, then I looked back. So I went back and as uh, I was very young at the time, I think I was just out of Bible school. And I went back and read the whole thing in context. Well, if you read the story in context, then what you'll recognize was the Lord God showed up to meet with Abraham. The two other supernatural beings that were with him are clearly defined shortly after they were two angels. And they were the two angels that God, from that moment, sent into Sodom and Gomorrah to go meet with Lot and his family to pull them out of the cities before destruction came upon the city. So it was not Jesus and it was not the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it was two angels that were accompanying the Lord. And uh, that's what I mean, is that <clears throat> that's, that's a... Um, that's an extreme uh, case of that. Obviously, I was way off there. But at the same time, um, you don't want that to happen at any level with something you're trying to teach or use, where it's like somebody goes back and studies the whole passage and like, that's not even what that was talking about. They, they, they weren't even talking about that. And uh, so you need to read before it. You need to read after it. And make sure that what you're saying is in context uh, to how it's written in the scripture. So three to five verses that are underneath each one of those points, then what you want to do is, the next thing that I that, that, that I encourage people to do is then find one or two stories uh, that you can use as illustrations that will um, back up that thought process. You know, I cannot, and let, let me just be very, very honest with you, um, I cannot say enough about storytelling. I may take one of the days this week and just do the entire thing on storytelling because I cannot tell you enough how vitally important it is to tell stories when you're teaching and when you're writing. Stories are, I I, I promise you, I cannot, I cannot overestimate the importance of a story uh jesus was a master storyteller and the reason for that is because he understood the makeup of the human mind that a story now think about this before there were were written histories any of that we had what we called the oral tradition and that was when histories were passed down from generation to generation, but they were told as stories and the stories were passed down from generation to generation and they were remembered. And And, and still today, stories hold a, a powerful place in our society and culture. But think about this. Have you ever, oh, let's just do a test. Have you ever listened to a preacher preach? Maybe to this day you can still remember it. You could not, tell me what he preached about seven years ago but he told a story during his message that stuck with you and to this day seven years later whatever it may be you still remember the story and you still tell the story to other people put a hand up in the comments section if that is true of of you that You can remember the story they told, you couldn't tell me the verses they used, you could not tell me the title of the sermon, you couldn't tell me the three points, but you could remember the story that they told. It made you laugh, it made you cry, whatever, and you have told that story to other people. There's a reason, look at all the hands, there's a reason that that's true. And it's because our minds are wired to run with and remember stories. It's just how we're made up. Stories allow us to capture a principle that we can take with us. That's why we had fables. That's why there were, uh, you know, old wives' tales. That's why we have uh, urban legends. It's why we have, and it's why Jesus used parables. It's why Jesus used parables. Think about the fact that Jesus always taught them in parables. Why did he do that? Listen, why did he teach parables over principles? He tucked the principles into the parables. Why? Because a parable is a vehicle that allows a principle to stay in your mind. That's something you need to write down and put it in the comments. A parable is a vehicle that allows a principle to stay in your mind. A parable is a vehicle that allows a principle to stay in your mind. And so many times, even those old uh, urban legends or you know, all those things, they were really just parable stories to keep young people from doing stupid things. Uh, old wives tales, all those things. It was really just, <clears throat> it was really just uh, parables, if you will, to um, help people remember a principle. What's the, you know, you've always heard people say this, what's the moral of the story, right? Put it in the comments. What's the moral of the story? Well, why do we have that phrase? Because many times, many times, stories were used and told to drive home a principle. But people knew That if we would wrap the principle in a story, it's much easier to remember a story than this long line of teaching that you may have encountered with somebody. So Jesus used it. All of the greatest, all of the greatest speakers of all time have used stories and parables to get their points across. Your book needs to be no different. It needs to be no different. I will say this, the first time I attempted writing a, a book, this was before Praise, Laugh, Repeat, and I ended up scrapping it. Um, the first time I attempted to write a book, um, and my my sister-in-law, Carolyn's sister, who is, uh, now she's an attorney, but she was a teacher, she, she uh, was teaching English, she's phenomenal, she's phenomenal. She was my copy editor at the time, not just proofreader, but my copy editor, which is, I'll get into that later. But I started submitting all these uh, chapters to her and I was saying, hey, check this out. It's a book I'm writing and she was going through it. And um, I said, you know, I, I really do want your feedback. I don't want you to just copy edit this stuff and and, and, and proofread it. I, I do want your feedback, being, especially being that this is my first book. And uh, I learned so much from her in the process of, uh, you know, three, four books we did together. Um, but this was, the, this was what she said to me. And she said, well, she said, everything you're saying is right. She said, you know, every, everything you're saying, uh, the principles are correct. No question. The principles are correct. Uh, she said, but the, the whole thing is principles. She said, you know, basically here's how your book goes. The Bible says this, so you need to do this. The Bible says this, so you need to do this. The Bible says this, so you need to do this. She said, that's your whole book. She said, that's an extremely laborious book to read. And that's why even Jesus didn't teach that way. He didn't say, you know, the Torah says this, the Tanakh says this, so you need to do this. He didn't, he didn't do it. He actually used parables and stories to get those principles embedded in the hearts of the listener and to prick the hearts of the listener. And so the biggest, and I can tell you that this is the biggest benefit that I had with working with my sister-in-law, who Helped me immensely. The largest takeaway that I could impart to you today, the knowledge of this, is use stories in abundance. If you look at one of the greatest Bible teachers of our time, who's now gone on to be with the Lord, Brother Kenneth Hagin, he was a master, I mean, a master of using simple stories to drive home biblical principles. I mean, literally, he would use simple stories to drive home biblical principles, and he was a master at it. He could reach the common man with stories and parables, and his his stories were true, I mean, they were true stories. But it's amazing that people can take the faith teaching, that God anointed Brother Hagin to deliver to the body of Christ and still to this day run with it and remember the stories that he told in order to get these points across. And there are tons of people who were impacted by his ministry that are still to this day telling his stories. They're telling his stories that he told when he was preaching and teaching. Why? Because stories stay with you. Stories stay with you, and the largest thing that I was able to take away from that from that lesson, from the lesson of the book that I scrapped, uh, was tell more stories. I'm going to take all of tomorrow, by the way, to teach on the power of storytelling because it needs to be talked about, and I'm going to give you some books to read as well. I'll give you two phenomenal books. Uh, that'll help you understand the power of storytelling and how you can incorporate it into your own writing. But let me say this, inside those inside those 10 to 12 things you wrote down, you need to have three to five scriptures to back up what you're uh, teaching. You need to put some stories in there. And if you'd like to, put some facts, put some statistics, put some history. That's the third thing, facts, statistics, history. To also, if you want to back up your thought process even more, you've got the word, you've got stories or illustrations, and stack uh, stats, statistics, uh, truth, facts, whatever, history. If you want to go back into history and show this principle, that's fine. But it's it's now. Look at this. Now look what you have after just three steps. Look what you have. The now now you've got what you're writing about. You've got the ten to twelve to fifteen things that you want to say. Those are your chapters. Inside your chapters, you've got all your scriptures laid out, you've got your stories laid out, you've got your statistics laid out, you've got history laid out. The the last thing you have to do is just fill in the blanks and write and connect those dots together. Now you're just creating transitions between the scriptures, the stories, the facts, the statistics, the histories. And literally, you have written your book that you've written your book and it's something interesting to read because you laid it out properly, you outlined it properly. I would say this. To keep your book interesting, it does help. I will say this. It does help to start each chapter. You don't have to do this, but I've noticed a lot of good authors, great authors do this. It does help to start your chapter with some sort of a hook that hooks the reader into wanting to read that chapter and complete that chapter. And one of the best ways to do that, in my opinion, is to start with a great story that illustrates what that chapter is about. It's a great way to hook your reader into what principle you're trying to show them in the chapter that they're currently reading, and uh, again, I cannot say, I cannot say enough, and I agree with you, Neil, too. Is um, you know, make that beginning, make that beginning of your book a phenomenal beginning. Work hard on the intro of that book because if someone picks your book up and hates it, feels like they're crawling through the first chapter because it's just so. it's it's poorly written, it's it's not interesting to read, it doesn't catch their attention. They're gonna set it down and you've created a first impression. They're not gonna pick it back up again. You get a little bit of an opportunity to make an impression on somebody and we'll talk about impressions this week as well. You make an impression with your cover design. You make an impression with the blurb on the back. You make an impression with the first chapter. And, and and you've got a limited amount of time and ability to actually hook this person into wanting to read your book. It goes beyond just your relationship with them. What if it's somebody you don't even know? What if it's somebody you've never even met? If they were to just not know you, but pick your book up, th- that is to say that they even did pick your book up off the shelf in, in the midst of a bunch of other books because they liked your cover. That's why they're going to pick it up. They like the look of the cover. They'll pick it up. Maybe the title caught them, but then... You know, they read the blurb. If they like the blurb, they might open and leaf through the book a little bit. You get a limited time to make, uh, yeah, good to great, an awesome one billion, Awesome one. Um, So understand this. You have a limited amount of time to make an impression and to hook the reader. To hook the reader. You've got to have great content, but you have to present. I know tons of people, they have great content, but they... They have zero, they took zero time organizing their content in an in a digestible way for the person they're presenting it to. What's the point? You've got you've got great, great content and you presented it to somebody in a way they don't even want to read it. It's a travesty. Don't take great content that God's given you and not be faithful to present it in a way that uh people want to ingest it it and take it in it's on you to make those impressions count and it's on you one of the first ways to do that is to have a great organization of your book and that's what I'm going over today is quickly outlining that book making sure that it's something you're passionate about because trust me when I tell you passion will come through in your writing it will just it, just like the same way it comes through in your talking it comes through in conversation you know, you can tell when somebody's talking to you about something they're passionate about. You can be like, man, I can tell you really you really like this. You really like this subject. You're really passionate about this, huh? Yeah, I love talking about this. It comes out in your speaking, but guess what? It also comes out in your writing. It comes out in your writing. So it's so very important for you to make sure it's something you're passionate about and then you develop those things, those 10 to 12 to 15 thoughts that you know people need to know this about this subject, and then you start filling it in scriptures, stories, statistics, facts, history, whatever it might be. And then all you, all you're left to do, you know, you know, what's so great about doing it this way. You'll never sit down at the desk and say, what do I need to write about today on this, on this book? You'll never have to do that because you've already put down for yourself everything you're going to write about in that day. You've already given yourself all the content and put it in front of your eyes. Now, the only thing that's left to do is tying it together. That's the only thing left. Tie it all together. And this, I'm telling you, when I got this into my into my repertoire, it changed me, man. When, when you do stuff like this, I promise you, and this is my goal, I'm going to start pumping out two to three books a year. I mean, obviously, my goal, as I told you yesterday, is to write 100 books before the Lord comes. Oh, if he tarries, I will do it. If he doesn't, I won't, but I won't care because we're in heaven, obviously. But if, if the Lord tarries and I grow old as a minister, before I'm done, I will write over 100 books. Well, I know for me to be able to do that, I have to pump out two to three books a year, which with this system, I can easily do. Because it's not like I have any shortage of things that I'm passionate about in the Word of God that people need to know about. And so that part's off the table. I'm already passionate about all kinds of things in the word. And I already, just from study, we know things that need to be, especially as a preacher, you should know things that people need to know about those subjects. And then after that, with me being able to use this system, we can pump it out. I mean, book after book after book change the generation. Now we've got eBooks. And remember this, it goes beyond you. Your books outlive you if Jesus tarries. You've got we've got things written by John G. Lake, Smith Wigglesworth, Kenneth Hagin, Lester Sumrall. You go down through the line, and we all we still have their their stuff. We're still using it. Oral Roberts. We've got people: uh, John Wesley, uh, Martin uh, um, uh, Martin Luther, John Calvin. We have things that were left to us, even by church fathers. You know, Hippolytus, uh, Origen, all of these men. Even from the early centuries of the Christian church, we have writings. Imagine if they would have ever written any of that stuff down. We wouldn't have it. It's important to write the, if God purposed you, if he anointed you, if he gifted you and talented you, it's worth telling people what God's using you to do. Don't ever look at yourself and say, why should I write a book? You should. If you're anointed, if you're purposed, if you're called, it's not just for preachers. If God's anointed you as a believer, use this opportunity to let people know. Let me take a few minutes, if anybody has questions about anything that we've talked about today, I wanna to take a few questions at the end of this broadcast, and then as the days go uh, this week, we'll take even more questions about uh, each of the subjects. Again, as I said, tomorrow, because it's such a massive topic, I'm gonna to cover all Uh, I'll broadcast tomorrow on storytelling because it needs to be talked about, especially in Christian books. At the end of the week, I'm also going to talk about self-publishing. I'm going to talk about the proper process before you send a book to print. Things that must be done. They must be done before you send a book off to the printer. Self-publishing is a massive uh, development for us in this generation, it used to cost so much money to print a book and it doesn't cost that kind of money anymore. The other reason it used to cost so much, and by the way, if you have a question, you can just put it in the comments section and I'll answer it as we're going. But the other reason it used to cost so much is because you had to to order a massive amount of copies to make your price point even reasonable for sale price. You know, if you wanted your book to cost Uh, you know, $2 or $1.85 to to print, you had to order like 5,000 copies. Um, Caleb is asking, besides Microsoft OneNote, do you use any tools to help uh, when you are writing, like Scrivener or Ulysses? No, I use, um, I'll give you the the tools that I'm using. Caleb, um, I usually make all my notes in OneNote, but then when I sit down to actually start writing my book, I'm a little bit different because I want to, um, I want to uh, be, be as quick to go ready to print as I can. So I actually write my books in the layout program, Adobe InDesign, so that by the time I'm done writing it, it's already formatted and it's already ready to send to the printer. And then as I'm writing, I will copy and paste my chapters into Grammarly which is if you if you've not used Grammarly it is great. I didn't believe in it when I saw all the social media ads uh, bought it to try it out. It's a phenomenal phenomenal tool, especially if you use the paid version. It's unbelievably good. It's unbelievably good. So those would be the three main ones. Microsoft OneNote for notes. I do all my writing inside of Adobe InDesign and I I do a lot of checking in Grammarly, which is, I can't say enough about how great of a a tool that is. Taya said, the storytelling within the book, can we use both stories from the Bible and stories? Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm talking about stories that are not in the Bible. I'm talking about stories that you uh, may have had happen in your life, things that you know that happened to other people, stories from history, whatever it might be, whatever can get your point across. I'm talking about any kind of storytelling. It's a great question. Christina said, how do you explain a sensitive story without shaming someone or being like, uh, not coming off rude or mean without using anyone's name? You've got to make those, Christina, as vague as possible. If you're telling a story about somebody that you know that could be, you know, something they did that was shameful or whatever, you have to make it as vague as possible. You can't use Where it happened. You can't use when it happened. You can't use any names. You know, you could make up names for the purpose of the story if you had to, but don't do anything that's incriminating that if they wanted to sue you for slander or something that, you know, don't put yourself in that position. And if it's a close friend or family member, you may want to actually think twice about using that, about using that story in your book. Because remember, print is forever. How do you address sensitive topics in a mature and respectful manner without coming off condemning, uh, Christina? Can you give me a, a, an example of like what you mean by a sensitive, a sensitive topic? Are you, if you're talking about homosexuality or or something like that, like a topic you want to teach on, sexual orientation, transgenderism, um, racism, some—is that what you mean? Like a, a sensitive topic in principle, something like that. Because I can answer that more specifically. Yeah. Um, First of all, and everybody write this down, always do it all in love. Everything we do must be done in love. It's not something, you know, if you don't want it to be condemning, don't write it in in a condemning way. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts, people condemn. So if I'm writing, let's say about you know L, uh, the LGBTQ community or something or whatever that might be, I'm writing to them as my potential brothers and sisters in Christ, they'll be saved. I don't wanna say something that's gonna uh, destroy my ability to minister to them. Now I'm not talking about watering down the truth. We, we speak the truth in love, the Bible says. So how would I speak to someone who I love with all my heart that I knew was doing something that was damaging to their life, damaging to their future, their eternity? How would I speak to them? That's wonderful, Ty. I'm looking forward to you completing it. How would I speak to somebody that, you know, I love with all my heart? I don't want to see them destroyed. I don't want to see them go to hell. How would I do that? Um, while I don't follow John MacArthur's ministry because he completely believes, uh, he believes completely differently than, than I believe and probably you believe, especially about the Holy Spirit, um, I did see a clip on YouTube of Pastor John MacArthur speaking about homosexuality. Can homosexuals be Christians? Uh, will homosexuals go to heaven? While there were two homosexuals on the panel sitting next to him uh, while he was being asked, and the the host of the show asked him, and he literally turned and spoke. It was the greatest uh, display of somebody saying something um, with total truth, total truth. Like he did not back off the scripture one iota, but also uh, in a way that let them know, I don't want to see you go to hell. You know, I want to see you go to heaven. Uh, but here's the truth. This is what the Bible says. It's what we believe. We don't back off of what we believe. So it's a great question, but you've got to do everything in love. Phenomenal question. Any other questions today? I'll give you one more minute if, you, if anybody else has anything they want to ask, because I, I, it is important. I want you guys to have a great understanding of this before uh, the week comes to an end, because I want to see what god has given you what you're anointed to do what you're gifted to do i want to see it impact your generation because it will there's no reason god would anoint you gift you talent you if he he didn't expect you to impact your generation he absolutely does absolutely does love you caleb let me pray for those of you that are on today father i pray for those that are watching those that watch the replay those that are listening to the podcast i ask you lord in jesus name Give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray in Jesus' name you'd open their eyes. Show them what they've never seen. Give them a boldness and a confidence to release what you've placed in their spirit and make them impactful for the kingdom. Set us on fire today with a brand new fire in the Holy Ghost to do what needs to be done before Jesus comes back. There's work to be done. Anoint us to be impactful workers in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you for it. We give you praise and glory. Amen. We're still here in Moorfield. The revival continues through the week. The 10 is up. We're having people saved every night. We think we're over 125 salvations already. God's moving. People are being healed. It's phenomenal. Uh, if you'd like to take a minute, partner with our ministry, you can go to miracleword.com and set up whatever the Lord tells you to do. You know there's something you can do to sow monthly to be a part of what God's doing through this ministry. And uh, we say thank you. Definitely, definitely appreciate you. And um, go to miracleword.com. You can, you can fill out the form on give or partner page. And uh, and so monthly, we love you. We appreciate you. We'll, we will uh, send you a gift as well this month and next. Uh, Ty, said, you guys, we're not streaming the revival because it's outdoors in the middle of nowhere with no internet connection. We're in a field in the middle of West Virginia mountains with nothing. So it's not really a way for us to do it. Taylor said, I don't want to get off topic, but I'm also interested in which tools you use for your graphics and your studio equipment. Um, Taylor, that's a completely different uh, broadcast, which I will do when I get back to the studio. Maybe we'll do it and show... Um, all the tools we're using for live streaming and uh, lower thirds and graphics and all that—I that, think that would be a good one because people are wondering, especially now, how do you do? Um, how do you do this, and especially in a time where everybody's kind of closed down? Question from Teresa: Do you lay out your book the same for a children's book, not a picture book, but a chapter book? Yeah, I'd say you could. Thank you, Taylor. I'd say you could definitely do that, Teresa. You could definitely do that. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing you're talking about more of a fictional book, but yeah, just kind of outline your story in the same way. Put the big events that you want to happen with your characters right down the page and then the minor events that may connect the major events, just do it that way. And then create yourself an outline. I talked to a New York Times bestseller via email and he told me that what he does is he gives himself for the bigger books about 40 chapters and then in the 40 chapters he outlines the big events that will happen for the characters the story arc and then basically writes a one to two paragraph outline of what will happen in each chapter writes it all the way through how it's going to end where they're going to go and then he goes back to the beginning and starts writing it out fully as a rough draft so i would encourage you to do the same thing definitely. Thanks for hanging with me guys today. Don't forget all this week, 1030, it's YouTube only. And uh, we'll re-air these later as well on Facebook and Periscope. Uh, But here in West Virginia, I've only got the ability to stream to one platform. And uh, so YouTube helps us the most. I love you guys. I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a phenomenal day and uh, be blessed. Talk to you soon.